Hi and welcome to episode 14.2 of the Game Pit Podcast. We're going to be continuing our series of previews of the Eschen Spiel 2013 show that's coming up. We're going to be talking about six more of the new releases, what we've learned about them, what we think about them, and our very first impressions, noting that we haven't got to play these games or even see them yet. It's just what we think as we are planning on going to Essen this October. Sean, what three games would you like to talk about today? Well, today, Ronan, I'm going to be talking about Hollywood, Vikings, Warriors of the North, and Rampage. And I'm going to be bringing up Francis Drake, Palmyra, and Theseus. And don't forget, you can catch us on 2d6.org, along with a whole host of other gaming goodness. Okay, so first up from me, a game called Hollywood. Now this is designed by Nikolai Pegasov, and Nikolai has only got a couple of card games, which is one of which is Sorries, which is a light card game, and World of Tanks Rush, which is a deck building game based on an online game of the same name. The publisher is Hobby World, and it plays two to six people with a time frame of about 30 minutes. The mechanics of this is it's a card game with auctions and set collection and some card drafts as well. So what do you do? You, as the player, are representing studio bosses. And you are competing to produce movies that outperform the other players' movies in the box office. So each of the three rounds will see players amass cards representing actors, actresses, directors, scripts, and film crew. Basically, whatever it takes to make a successful movie. Players will then put their collected resources together to make between one and three movies, with the richest player winning at the end of the game, which is three rounds long. Players will try to get more money by getting the cast and crew known for specific film genres together, and also cast and crew that have awards, which will give the film more bonuses and generate more money. And there are also cards with specific bonuses on them. And if you use those wisely, you can start to stack up your bonuses and your film will earn more and more money. So to get the cards, you're going to compete for them using money in a secret bidding process. And this works basically, there's cards with money amounts printed on them and you will choose one of these amounts and attach it to whatever star you're trying to bid for and then you flip the cards over and whoever's got the most is going to get that card into their hand there's a little bit more to it than this but that's generally what this game's about it's about building up a movie getting it out there and seeing if it earns the most money ronan yeah it seems to me like is the theme of building a film really in the game from my impressions of it it seems that they've taken a kind of a basic set collection game now there's the two auctions then there's the seven wonder style drafting in the middle in order to get the cards fine okay that sounds all right but they seem to with the scoring especially some of the mechanisms be really trying to crowbar stuff in to make it into sort of this hollywood theme and they don't really seem to fit the game. They seem to make the game more fiddly and um, 
add sort of steps that are not required in this depth of game? I think, firstly, it interests me. It really does interest me. I do like the thought of this. I like the theme. I like the fact that you do have to build up this film. You need to have your star actors in there. You need to have the script and the director. And the fact that if your director happens to be a thriller director, noted and has won awards for thrillers, if you have thriller actors in there and a thriller script, then it will stack your points up more. I like it. I like the theme. I'm not sure if it's all going to pull together, Roland. See, with that thing whereby the, the script sets what genre the film's going to be off the four, right? So if you go early and I say I take a comedy script and then those comedy actors and directors don't come around, the difference in scoring is huge. It's really, it seems like it's going to be pretty hard to, yeah, someone might get lucky and there's lots of thriller cards go around the table. They're going to get lucky if they go after thriller and I went after comedy and there's no other comedy cards. I've got unlucky. It seems kind of strange in that way that the scoring really seems to sway. The other thing is, in terms of the theme, any movie game, if you can't get the rights to the real stars, now how the hell you get the rights to all these real stars and what have you, I don't know. But if you haven't got the real stars, it always seems a bit odd to me. It's like playing a football game and it's all made up football players and football clubs. It feels wrong. It feels like not the, the same experience that it should be. See, I, I'm the other way. I don't think it needs the real stars. And I think if it did have the real stars, it would actually detract from the game for me. I like the fact that you've just got these sort of caricatures of actors and actresses and directors. And I think the design of the game and the actual design of the cards is looking quite promising and quite attractive. Yeah, it's, it's not that they don't look attractive. They look fine and it's the iconography all looks very clear, actually. That is a positive for me. It's that if I'm building a film and... There's nothing recognisably there that makes it a film. It, it could be any theme in this game. I, if it was creating, I don't know, pop bands, or if it was growing the best orchard, you could use exactly the same thing. It doesn't feel like making a movie from what I've read. There's also kind of two specific mechanics that I wanted to talk about that I just, I don't know, I'm making me worry about the game. One of them is that, the, the game equivalent of an Oscar, it's film of the year or whatever it is, but really it's supposed to be the Oscar, right? You're trying to build these films and some of the cards have got these Oscar things in the top left-hand corner. And whichever films are made with the most of those is going to win that for the year. And it seems quite powerful because they can they score again at the end of the game. They also give you control over what star cards come out, which are the best and most flexible cards. If there's a tie for that, and it doesn't look like there's going to be, you know, the scoring for it is not going to be that high, so ties seem fairly likely. The other players vote on who wins that quite powerful Oscar. Now, if that's not recipe for rouse, I don't know what is. Yeah, just to take your first point, yeah, I completely agree. The, the theme could lend itself to anything. I think the fact that films are obviously very popular and people understand the process from watching ceremonies like the Oscars. I think they understand what it takes to make up a film. Maybe they wouldn't understand necessarily what it would take to make up a bottle of wine. But yeah, I do agree with you with this um, award uh, symbol and that will give you that bonus at the end of each round. I thought when I was reading the rules as well that 
yeah, surely that's too much of a bonus to be given out to give you the first choice of the next set of cards and that could be an absolute game changer. You get you get the right cards coming out and you're always going to be hitting that, that bonus at the end of the round. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> we agree. The, the second thing is, the second, or I mean, for both auctions, when you make a bid, whether you win or lose, you spend that amount of money. Now, I can't think of a game in which I like that. <laughs> That's also the bidding is fixed on certain amounts. There's five cards, so I start the game with twelve money, and I bid with one of five cards. It's the one, three, six, nine, or twelve money, and I'm stuck on that bid, and it's all done face down and secretly. So I can't tell really what I should be bidding, and if I misjudge that, I have to pay it. That's going to be awful for first-time players. That's the sort of bidding that puts players off bidding games. I love auction games. I hate that, but specifically. The auction at the end of the round, the star cards are available. I think there's one more than the number of players playing, so it can be up to seven with six players. And you have a token, and you choose which of the cards you're going to bid on, and then you secretly put your bid down using these five, one of these five bid cards. Now, if I happen to choose the same card as Sean's chosen, and I bid slightly less... I still pay my money. Now, I might have needed that card to win that Oscar, finalise this great skipped, and score a load of points. Because I've been unlucky enough to choose the same one as Sean. Not only do I not get the card, so I'm not going to finish my film, I also lose my money. And I just... Oh, that really seems to me like... What an annoying mechanic. I think, yeah, I can definitely see how it would be frustrating. And the fact that you have to bid something as well. You can't just sit there out. I, that that's the bit that upsets me most. I, I, if I want to sit out the round, if there's nothing there I want, why do I have to bid? But I think this is one of those ones, I think, once people know the game and the actual blocking will become part of it, if you get what I mean. I, I think that once you understand the mechanics and you know what everyone's doing and you know what the opposition are trying to do, actually going for the same thing to block them might be an actual interesting and a plus point. Okay, it's too much random for, for my particular taste. I just feel like there's an awful lot going on you don't have any control over. If it's quick, if there's a bit of fun. If it doesn't get too frustrating, I can see how it can be fun. I have my doubts. I feel like there's going to be runaway leader problems and it's going to be difficult for people who have played it before to play people who haven't played before. It's going to be a big experience advantage there. Sean, should we go into, do you think it's a treasure or a trap? Yeah, well, for me, I'm a sucker for a theme. And although I do have my worries about this game and there are alarm bells ringing it's a treasure for me well for me I guess since I've been Mr Negative Pants here you can tell it's going to be a trap but I have got one thing to thank it for when I was doing my research into it and looking at the Board Game Geek database I stumbled across the Liv Tyler Hollywood Starlet game and now I'm off to hunt that game down moving on away from my obsession with Hollywood stars Francis Drake. This is again a, a shift of momentum as we've been, we were doing all last episode. Away from a lighter card game into a two hour plus three to five player worker placement, pretty heavy Euro game, which has made quite a big splash at Gen Con this summer. 
It's a big game. It takes a long time. It's a big box. It's got lovely components. So what's it all about? The game is played over three years. And in those three years, each player is a captain, a potential pirate captain, who is going to be going off and annoying the Spanish in the name of Queen Elizabeth. So each year is a game round, and each round is split into two halves. You have the provision phase and you have the sailing phase. In the provision phase, you are going to be using your workers and placing them along a track across the top of the board in which there are a set of, I believe it's 16 different areas in which you can place your workers. Now these areas are going to be giving you things such as crew, cannons, cannons let you attack things, uh, supplies let you sail further on the map, you can upgrade your ship to a better ship, you can go and visit certain dignitaries which give you advantages, and generally each area has got one better space you can put a worker in and then one or two other spaces which aren't quite as good. Players take turn placing their workers down on this track. The interesting bit to it is that it's got this kind of Egyptian mechanic if you're aware of that game in which where you've placed a worker you cannot place a worker behind it. So if I decide I want my first action to be on the third tile of the 16 and I choose that and let's say who knows I take some trade goods okay on my next turns, I cannot go on tiles one or two because I've already gone past them and gone to number three. So I'm choosing from number four onwards and so on and so forth throughout the game. So the more I jump ahead, I might think, wow, I really need to get there to get the best cannon space. But it means I'm going to miss out on these two spaces. Sounds like it's going to give some interesting decisions there. Once you've decided you've placed all the workers you want to place or you can no longer go backwards along the track, you then place your ship in the outbound harbour. Once every player has placed their ships in the outbound harbour, we move on to the second phase of each round, and that's the sailing phase. To start with, everyone's got at least four tokens, because you're going to have four or more, if you manage to get more tokens, interactions on these, this voyage you're about to go on during the sailing phase. So there's different places across this large map you can go to. So what's the kind of places you can go to? Well, there are locations, there are towns which you can go and trade. So you can collect trade goods, take them out into the Caribbean mostly and then trade them for other goods from there and they're going to score you points at the end of the game. There's going to be forts which the Spanish hold and you'll be able to attack those forts and they're going to have a certain number of cannons you're going to need. There's Spanish galleons out on the sea, you can be able to attack Spanish galleons as long as you've upgraded to a galleon and again you're going to need crew and cannons and what have you in order to take over these galleons. There's also areas which you can colonise which are going to give you rewards. And these four markers you have which show where you're going to visit, they're placed face down and they have a number one to four on. And they all get flipped over and they get resolved in one to four order for each player. So who goes first to a certain place makes a difference because the generally the first person to do or visit an area is going to get a bonus. It can be in gold or silver and gems. And they can be quite important. You put them into actually a little treasure chest which is a lovely little component and they're going to score you points as well. Also, each of these areas, they've got tiles that are associated with them, especially the ones you attack, and they have varying levels of bonuses. So, let's try and explain that a little. Say you want to attack a fort, and the basic cost to attack that fort is two cannons and two crew. Well, that and all the other forts are going to have face-down tiles placed by a player who chooses a certain role, and that's going to have a certain number of crew or cannons that's going to add to the defences. So, obviously, you're going to have a look and see 
Who's placing those down? Where are they looking to go? Are they bluffing? Because you can get a ghost ship and pretend you're going to go somewhere. It looks like there's some good interaction there and that each visit is going to be slightly unique. Once everyone's finished their visits and done the sailing phase, we're going to go back to year two and we're going to start doing the provisional phase again. Now you keep all your points and the trade goods and the gold, silver and gems that you've collected, but everything else goes. Your crew goes, they're off to get drunk in Plymouth and your cannons, maybe they've been melted down by the Queen and basically you lose everything and you're starting again for the next session. What's interesting on this is that for year two and three, those 16 worker placement tiles get shuffled around and they get dealt out randomly. So suddenly you're looking at a different order of actions and you're going to have to change what you're doing there. And I think one of the good things is you're going to be watching where everyone else is going and try and take advantage of where they're going on the board. Like I say, you play this for three years, at the end of the third year, different trade goods, gems, everything you've collected are going to be worth a certain number of points. And whoever scored the most number of points has been the most successful English pirate and they are going to get the favour of the Queen. Sean, have you got any thoughts on Francis Drake? Yeah, how are you going to get it back? <laughs> I'm going to hollow you out. <laughs> that is a big lump of a game. That is a beast. It does look enormous. It's also not cheap. I believe it's going to be going for €60 Euro at the fair. Now, some of the games we're talking about here are going for €25, €30. Euros. So, is it two games worth as well as decisions that's going to have to be made? It's We've got to talk about expectations for games, don't we? This is a two, three-hour big box, big price tag. It's got to be judged on those standards, hasn't it? Absolutely. But, if it's as good as it promises to be, then it might be well be worth that sort of money. My impressions... I love the initial phase. I love the fact that you really have to be wary about how far you go along that track and are the riches that are just ahead of your opponent worth jumping three spaces for before they get to it. So you've got to really think that out. You've got to look about where where your other opponents are going to. So I love that aspect. And I think it's almost two games in one for me. You've got that definite section to the game then another game starts once you get to the ship exploration phase yeah definitely i think that this is each round is front loaded on the decisions it's i think we talked about galaxy trucker before where all the decisions come early and almost that last part you're just kind of seeing what happens but it appears to me that in gameplay the two phases are very different in terms of length all the meters in that first worker placement phase, the provisioning phase. And then in that second, the decisions, there's a bit of bluffing. There's an element of, you know, I might put this token down first, but actually it's my number four. I'm not really going to go there first, but I want you guys to waste your time going there. My number one's going over here somewhere. No one knows until you flip them all over. But that certainly seems to be a lot lighter than that first part of each year. And I think that's where all the, the game is sort of centered. That worker placement also, I'm really interested in it. It was in another game, I think I just mentioned this. It was in Egyptia, which was a worker placement game based around Egypt and building monuments and what have you. It worked really well in that. The only thing I think that I slightly didn't like, and I really liked the game, it was quite hard to get to the table though because it didn't look that exciting, but is that some of the areas were fixed so you didn't have that much flexibility in you know, the element of jumping really far ahead and kind of taking a bit of a bold strategy didn't really pay off because of the way that certain of the uh, work placement spaces were fixed on the board. I wonder whether Francis Drake has allowed you to be a little bit more flexible. I wonder 
do you have to go for cannons every turn? Do you have to get a certain number of crew? Or can you go, do you know what, this time I'm not going to do those. I'm going to concentrate more on this area and, say, be a quick trading vessel. I, I don't know until we've had a look at it, but I, I hope there's that sort of strategic variety available. I think the variety is going to make or break this game for me. It's if you do have this freedom to go and pretty much do what you want, rather than have to think about this and have to think about that because if somebody else does it, they're going to win the game. I'd like to think that this game will be much more balanced, if you if you will. So if somebody does go for uh, the cannons and the attack value, are you going to be able to counter that by just going for trade? I, I don't know yet, but that for me was going to make or break it. The designer, we didn't mention it, his name's Peter Hawes and it's coming from Eagle Games. He designed a game that you and I both really enjoyed and, and took a slightly different, quite a heavy take, of, but didn't revolutionise Euros, but it was quite interesting. He designed War of the Roses, and that gives me a lot of faith because that game was really enjoyable. That gives me faith that he's going to be able to pull this off. Oh, definitely, War of the Roses, what a great game. Just one thing, do you really think with five players you'll get it, this finished in 120 minutes? There seems a lot of decisions and... A lot of chances for a bit of AP creeping in. Yeah, I think that people are scared of putting longer than 120 minutes on a game description because it could people suddenly start going, whoa, well, it takes four hours, and then I've got to learn it, so that means it'll probably take six hours. Maybe two hours, four-player, everyone knows the game inside out. I'm expecting the first time we sit down for this, this is going to be a four-hour job. Yeah, that's, that's more like the time frame I was thinking, definitely. All right, Sean... What's your thoughts on Francis Drake, Treasure or Trap? I am very hopeful for this game. I'm not 100% convinced, but I'm pretty sure, as you said, given the designer, given the look of the game, it's beautifully crafted, heavily themed around an era that I'm interested in. So for me, it's going to be a treasure. Yes, it's definitely a treasure for me. The work placement is so interactive, more so, I think, than certain other work placement sort of twists on it. The uh, the missions where you choose to go, there's limited spaces, that's also going to be interactive. It's visually very appealing. Thematically, as you said, it's very appealing. This is near the top of my want list for sure. Right, so onwards we go. On to Vikings, Warriors of the North. Uh, this is designed by Tomasz Kazmierski and Tomasz Kaznoka. These guys are both young designers with no previous games. The publisher is Rebel.pl and it plays three to four players with a time frame of approximately 45 minutes. So this is a medieval fantasy adventure game with hand management, area movement... Uh, there's battles with cards and dice driving them. And also there's a transportation and delivery element to this. So as the players, you're going to assume the role of Viking Jarls, looking to gain control of the north and win the crown of the Konong. The aim of the game is to basically pillage the home village of each of your opponents and steal the daughters of their thanes. So once you have stolen these daughters of the thanes and you're going to get a different color that matches the color of your opponent once you've got the set of all three then you're going to bring them back to your village and the first person to do that effectively wins the game sounds really simple not so much because 
obviously other players are going to be defending their villages they're going to be attacking yours you can do battle on the high seas using the cards and dice players can play their cards to give bonuses to their attacks and bonuses to their ship so players can add heroes to their ships which give them permanent bonuses and their ships are represented by their player mats and you can have as many as three heroes in your ship at a time so as well as other player ships you will also have to worry about a huge sea monster lurking in the depths and should players be driven or caught in its path they will need to battle that too so cards drive this game and this even extends to the ship's movement more than half the cards in the game are wind cards Ronan, you know all about wind and these can be spent to move your ships if the wind is blowing in the desired direction of course you can always go to the last resort and row but this will immediately end your turn so it's actually a, quite a lightish game and I wasn't expecting that but it's a tactical game and it may just deliver on some tension and some fun Ronan okay the good news is that the rulebook is available to the game the bad news is the rulebook's a bit ropey the English isn't perfect the rules aren't that particularly well structured in there and this is kind of going to be my main comment on this game very hard for me to judge whether this is going to be any good or not I know how to play it I know what the structure is. I know what you're trying to do. It seems that everything in the game really hinges on those special action cards, whether they be heroes you put in your boat or whether they be, you can have like blessings of the gods that affect you in combat and what have you. Also, a lot of the cards are reaction cards. So when someone's trying to do something, you're able to prevent them or make it harder for them or what have you. There are no descriptions of the cards in the rulebook. I believe that there's text on all the cards, so they should be self-explanatory. So that's that's not a complaint with regards to that. It's that I cannot tell you how the game's going to play because so much is going to hinge on that card play. Yeah, I do see to a degree what you're saying. And I have seen some of the cards, and they are pretty clear to understand. Uh, I just think that it could be a real tactical battle, this game. Let me just make one thing clear. I think I might have misled people in my explanation of the game. You have to get each dame's daughter back individually. You don't just go and stick them all in your boat and pop home and, and Bob's your uncle. You have to do it individually. So you're going to have to make three separate journeys to get out there. Now, the, the map, the board map, whatever you want to call it, is all little dotted islands so there's no direct route straight you have to sail around and through things and that's where i think a lot of the tactical play is going to come is getting round and trying to out guess where your opponent's going to sail to next i think it could be amazing but as ronan said you just don't know yet because the rule book is i think it's only four pages or something and i was expecting a little bit more yeah it was announced quite late for Essen, and also the theme and the artwork, the whole vi idea of Vikings, people jumped on this and gone, wow, yeah, great, a Vikings game. The artwork looks cool, apart from the what could be considered sexist posters that have been up that are a bit, okay, anyway, we'll move on. People like the theme, people want to like the game. I, you know, like the idea of the theme, I guess, but I want to know more about it, and I think we, this is one we're going to have to go and play. The bits look all right. 
the uh, the map looks pretty enough it looks functional it seems to make sense one of the other things talk about how simple it seems you can have battles at sea apart from what the cards do again and i can't tell you about that if you just have a straight up fight the person who's attacking rolls a dice i believe one to three they fail and they lose a card four or five they win and on a six they win super duper and that's fighting i don't think the fighting is the be all and end all of this i think it's just getting around and using your your wind cards strategically and sparingly and having those keeping them in reserve in case someone attacks and you can nip away i think that's where a lot of the fun of this game is going to be and getting that thane's daughter into your ship and knowing that basically if you're going to win the game everyone's going to be gunning for you can they get to you in time i like the thought of it the artwork as ronan said is amazing the guy on the front cover he scares me my god what a stare what amazing art but yeah i'm hopeful i'm hopeful okay i'm i'm hopeful for you <laughs> thank you it means a lot <laughs> so sean vikings warriors of the north treasure or trap a very very hopeful treasure okay I'm finding it very hard to say because I just don't know. <laughs> it's It has to be a play it and see. It's all down to the interaction of the cards, whether there's too many reaction cards, which means it becomes a frustrating experience because every time I try and do something, it's too easy for people to stop me from doing it. <sighs> I'm on the face. Ronan, Ronan, yeah. look into his eyes. The front cover, look into his eyes. Would he tell you a lie? I'm looking into his eyes. I feel like not only is he telling me a lie, but I need to go and check <laughs> on my daughters right now to make sure they're okay. You've convinced me. This man's scaring me. Trap. <laughs> Okay, away from scary Vikings and on to the much more friendly theme of the Roman Empire just devastating areas and stealing all their resources. I'm sure that's what we'd all rather move on to. That'll get us to sleep well in our beds. This next game we're talking about is actually another one that's fairly lightish and fairly abstract. It's a tile layer. It's called Palmyra. It's from Iron Games, and the designer is Bernd Eisenstein. And Iron Games, I believe, is his own sort of uh, publishing house, as well as bringing in um, other games from other publishers. He publishes his own designs through this as well. So what's the game all about? Well, you control two different pieces, and everyone's pieces are going to start in a grid of both big and small tiles, and you have a legion and a sensor the tiles come in three different terrain types you've got deserts hills and mountains and some of them have got different features on which are watchtowers lakes or caravans on your turn you're going to do one of three things they're called conquer revenue or reorganize conquer is simple as this you can put a certain number of tiles down there's certain rules about it each tile you lay must be adjacent to your legion and you then move your legion onto that tile and then you can place another one and move your legion on and so on and so on. And for every tile that you place down, you're going to get more tiles back. So that's a way of kind of recycling your hand, building up the board and manipulating areas of the board. The second thing you can do, and this is kind of really how you're going to score the points. In fact, money is points in the game. You're going to get money and it's called revenue. Makes sense, right? It's exactly the same move. But when you place the tiles and move the sensor, you're going to get coins. Now, how you get coins and you get tiles from these two very similar actions are you're trying to build area adjacent areas 
of the same terrain type. So I want to try and build up a bunch of desert tiles, what have you. Because where my sensor ends up, that affects how much money I'm going to get. Also, the last thing you can do is if you haven't got anything particularly exciting going on, or you think you've left your legion or your sensor in a bad area, or you want to try and move and exploit how someone else is building up the terrain, you've got a reorganize action, which is where you can draw tiles and you can move your wooden pieces, your sensor, your legion. The game finishes, it's only supposed to be about 45 minutes long. It's when either all the money runs out in the game or all the tiles run out and you have to draw one, there's not one there for you to draw. Then you count up who's got the most money and whoever's got the most money has won the game. Sean, this really is a simple tile laying game. What are your thoughts on Palmyra? First impressions, it's very bright. That is some, there's some bright tiles. It's all very cheery given that it's the Roman Empire stomping all over everybody. But the artwork's nice and the tiles are distinctive, which is a massive plus for me. You can tell immediately what tile is what, and that, that really, really helps. Yeah, he has kind of, um, I really like the art style he has. He always seems to use the same artist. It's uh, Clemens Franz. And I really like what they do. They make it very clear and yet still pretty. It doesn't look like someone's designed it on their PC and yet it's not overly elaborate. It just does exactly the job you want it to do. It does look bright, but I believe the Romans used to, you know, make things bright while they stole all your money and killed your children. Well, quite possibly. On to the actual game itself. Now, when I looked at this, I couldn't really see that many decisions to be made what do you think yeah it does seem again i say it a thousand times already it seems to be a light little tile laying game i think that i could read 10 sets of rules about similar games coming out of essen so i guess i get down to why i'll be most interested in this one it's i bought a game three years ago from bird eisenstein and it was porto Cathago. now that sounded like a lot of other games in that it was kind of worker placement-y and auction-y and you were trying to get ships in and trade goods and affect the ships that were coming in and what have you. It was it had one interesting twist to it in that you had a pool of workers of pawns. Now they were both your workers, they were also your currency and just that simple twist he put on it made decisions in by where to commit workers and where to try and spend money really really interesting he was able to take a basic idea and spin it i'm hoping and um, with this in palmyra that i don't think he's reinventing the wheel or anything but i'm hoping that he's taken this toll lane game and he's putting a little spin on it i like the fact there's flexibility with that reorganize so that you can actually jump on each other's moves and to me it seems like there's enough there that as you play it different ways of playing and different depths will come out there are depths in games that are 45 minutes long and my faith in him as a designer means that I think I'm hoping there's depths here. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit more to it than we've said. Those features, they affect how many tiles you can play. It also affects how you score with the tiles and how many tiles you get back. And I think that might be interesting, how, how you put those uh, watchtowers and lakes and what have you together. Yeah, it looks, as you said, it looks like a load of other games out there. It is a simple tile laying game. I do worry slightly about the longevity of this game now. The fact that he has even put in like an expert variant called Caesar, where Caesar will come and give you different sort of powers and you do different slight like things. And there's a solo gameplay. I'm worried that he's putting these in and he's just sort of adding them on at the last minute maybe to 
elongate what would be a short-lived games in people's collections. Uh, I actually think that's, that's a really valid point. With these games, I find the longevity comes from if you can find someone else who really enjoys it and then wants to get into it with you and become as good a player as you are at it and really explore where you can go with it. I'm trying to think of some slightly similar games like that. Like uh, I've been playing Tuluva with my oldest daughter and I'm not, you know, if I was playing with a different person every week, I, I think I'd have got bored of it. But because we're discovering it together, I think it's more fun. Something similar with Hanging Gardens, for example, which is a, which is a kind of card laying game. I think when I play with people who've played it a couple of times, it becomes more interesting rather than new people all the time. Hopefully, and this is one of the things that we're not going to be able to find out just going to Essen and, and, and trying it out, is I hope that there's enough there that sort of styles of play will evolve. Fair enough. So, Ronan, are we ready to decide whether trap or treasure on this one? I think so. For me, it's a very tentative treasure. It's kind of a leap of faith. Porto Cathago, people I paid it with, half liked it, half didn't. I thought he was really interesting. And just going on that, I'm going to take a game that's inexpensive, it's not that long, it looks kind of pretty, and I'm going to give him a little bit of faith and say, uh, treasure. For me, it's... It's not my type of game anyway, so it would have to be really, really special to make me want to part with some money for it. So I'm sure it's got its fans, and it will have its fans, and it does look very striking. I'm very impressed with the look of the game, but for me, it's going to be a trap. So, changing tact again. Well, maybe not, because we've got some other people or other creatures stomping all over society and taking everything away from them here in Rampage. A Rampage is designed by Antoine Bowser, he of Seven Wonders, Ghost Stories, Tokaido, Takanoko, and so many more, and Ludovic Morblanc, who did Cash and Guns, Cyclades, Mr. Jack, and a whole heap more. The publisher is Repos Production. It plays two to four, with a time frame of about 45 minutes. Now, how to describe this? Um, the best I've come up with is a themed dexterity and destruction game. Uh, I think that pretty much describes it. So in this game, you are a monster. A monster with a huge appetite. No, Ronan, it's not a game about me. Mm. <laughs> now, you have spotted Meeple City out of the corner of your eye and decided it's a great chance for a good old chomp. Now, players will basically destroy a city while eating the buildings and meeples and the player who has caused the most destruction and has the fullest belly at the end of the game will be declared victorious. So how does it all unfold? Firstly, you will build up the city by connecting the board areas, constructing the buildings, and this is done by stacking little cardboard building floors on top of meeples and they will form the floors of the buildings. And then you place some vehicles around the board and each player is given a certain number of teeth to display in front of their player screens. A teeth can be lost during the game and the number of teeth you have left is the limit to how many meeple figures you can eat per turn. Players can now do two or four actions on their turn and they can double up so they can do the same action twice. The four actions are move. This is where you flick the disc that your monster character piece is sitting on top of and it represents their feet or paws as it says in the rule book 
you're going to flick this disc and try and get to your monster to certain areas or touching buildings or touching the sidewalk around buildings specifically. If it goes off the board, you lose a tooth. Demolish. When your paws are touching the sidewalk of a building, you're going to hold your monster piece, which is a big wooden block, and you're going to hold it over the building with your arm parallel to the board, and you must be sitting down, and then you're going to drop the monster to cause as much damage as possible. You're going to be able to toss a vehicle. Any vehicle on the same neighborhood space on the board as you can be placed on top of your monster, and you simply flick it at your target. And breathe. You place your own chin on top of your monster piece and blow for all your worth. So when you've caused your destruction, your monster may eat any building floor that has nothing on top of it and any meeple not supporting a structure. As I said before, your monsters can only eat as many meeples as it has teeth. So keeping hold of your teeth is vital or trying to knock your other opponent's teeth out is also a way forward in this. Now, you can do this by attacking each other, because you can do this. Any monster that's knocked off its feet will lose a tooth to the player who did the knocking. Now, it isn't all one-way traffic, as the meeples will start to fight back. Any meeple figures that tumble off the board are considered to have escaped, and will come back to haunt players by causing nasty things to happen once sufficient groupings of numbers or colours are achieved. Now, there are also cards in this game. One of which is a, an objective card, which will give you a certain task that you have to complete to get more points. And there are also special powers and bonuses, and they just add more flavor and layers to the game. Which, well, a layer to the game. It's not a very layered game. And that's about it. It's just mayhem and fun, possibly. Ronan, what do you think? I heard a lot of talking, and all that needed saying was monsters, meeples, eating. I've got a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and when I unpack this game, when I get home from Essen, they are going to go ballistic. Is this the best-looking game you ever saw in your life? You've also got a 37-year-old who will go ballistic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely amazing. And when that board is built up, you feel like it's actually Maple City. It just looks amazing. And you just can't wait to get stuck. Oh, well, I, you can't wait to get stuck. I'm, I'm talking like I've played the game. I've looked at this game so much that it feels like you can't wait to get stuck in. I bought a game last year at Essen. Essen is amazing for going for family games, by the way. You just feel so jealous. The people in Germany have got access to all these games. It's amazing. But anyway, I bought the latest one, one called Draggy Drack. And it's the most simple game. There's a kind of a blower in the middle of the board. It blows a sponge ball up and it holds that sponge ball midair with the air. And you've got to blow it and try and land it on the sections of the board around it. She loves that game. She always wants it out. She always wants to play it. That's about 10% of this game. This game does that and brings in five other awesome games and puts them all together and then lets you have a fantastic time. I don't know why anyone would not want this game. It's just going to be absolute mayhem. And it is a game that you can play with children, you can play with adults, you can play with a mix, because everybody's just going to be having a blast, as far as I can see. Now, I've seen people worrying about the amount of slobber and spittle that they're going to get over their games, but play with friends, play with clean people, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm like, I have to put gauze over you again. <laughs> just don't put me in the bubble again i can't take it <laughs> you behave you can stay out the bubble you know the rules 
Okay, it's got amazing wow factor. This, <laughs> it's got fantastic components. It's got innovative gameplay. I'm hoping this is the one thing. I'm hoping that obviously the kids are going to have fun playing it. In terms of adults, I hope there are some tactics to it, and that there are some decisions to make because that will give it some longevity when playing with other adults. And I also hope that there is some scope there for a bit of screwing each other over because. I can't think of anything funnier than screwing over someone's plans to have fun eating meeples. It's exactly that. And I think the cards, that's what they bring in. Otherwise, it'd just be a free-for-all. And I think that they do bring in that. And I think the meeple fighting back is a very important part. And I believe this game was scheduled for last Essen and maybe even the one before. It's been mooted for a long time. Now, maybe this meeple fighting back aspect of the game is what they've been trying to develop because it does get to the point where if you're the person if you lose one meeple of a certain color and you're that person's you're on your go and if that meeple goes out you're going to get the, the attack from the meeples so i think that will add a strategic element to it definitely as to what you go for and how how full-on you go to smash things up but yeah i don't think we can say any more about it. it's not a deep game it's just seems to be a lot of fun. Rona, thoughts? I think you've done it extremely well because I thought this was going to be six minutes of you squealing like a piggy. <laughs> I've managed to contain myself so far. <laughs> I think a little squeal is fine. You're allowed one. Yeah, I am 100% sold on it. If I didn't have the kids to play it with, because it's a little bit pricey, I think it's €45 Euro for a pre-order for what is, you know, could be a simple dexterity game. But I've got the kids. It's going to go down an absolute storm. I'm thoroughly excited. I'm abusing my position as a parent in order to just bring more fun kids games into my house. Treasure. Well, <laughs> well, my son is 15 months, so I can't really use him as an yes, excuse yet. Yes, you can. It's for his future. I'm planning That's for his right. future. That's what I'm doing. I've ordered it already. I've pre-ordered it. That's that's how much I, I think this game's going to be a winner. I think everyone that plays it is going to love it, and we're everyone's going to come together and just have a great time. Absolute treasure. I'd be shocked if it's not. Okay, so our sixth and last game we're going to talk about for this preview is Theseus: The Dark Orbit. This is coming from uh, Portal Games out of Poland. The designers Mikkel Orach. And he was the designer of Noroshima Hex. And actually, in line with Noroshima Hex, which is um, uh, an abstract yet thematic little war game with tiles, I think what we've got here is an abstract yet thematic kind of a puzzle game. We will get into how the mechanisms work. You can make your own mind up there. It's with regards to Theseus is a space station. And on that space station, there are, in the basic game, four different factions, and they're all vying for control of it. And the four factions are aliens, greys, which are just a different type of aliens, and then you've got two human factions, the marines and the scientists. Now, aliens and marines are, seem to be fairly similar in that they can both win by eliminating all the other factions in the space station now the greys and scientists can win like that it's possible i don't know how possible it is in terms of gameplay but theoretically it's possible but they've got a second win condition in that they're trying to learn things and they've got data points if they get enough data points they can win the game so how do you play the game each of the factions um, has got the same basic actions but the real difference between them is going to be from the faction cards which they have now each 
faction has got its own card it's going to be attempting to bring into play throughout the station we'll talk about how they do that in a second and they're going to provide different powers and these powers are thematic to what that faction is and what their goals are so the marines have got kind of more weaponry and they can set traps and mines and what have you and they're trying to set up defenses the scientists have got more gadgets and they're looking to kind of plug into the space station to get information out the aliens are a bit more sneaky imagine you know the film alien aliens they go through the ventilation ducts and launch surprise attacks and what have you and it's these faction cards that provide that variety to what otherwise would be pretty abstract game so you begin thesis by placing the space station in a circle the space station is made up of different locations there's going to be one sector for each of these factions and there's also going to be some neutral areas control rooms corridors and what have you each of these sectors is going to have rooms in which units are going to be able to go in and moving those units is the heart of the game there's also going to be spaces there available for potential cards which are cards that have been put into play but are not yet into effect and there's also space there for traps so different factions will be able to set traps for anyone who wanders into that particular sector in terms of phases of the games the uh, the first phase of everyone's turn is movement and this is quite an interesting idea everyone starts in their own sector of the space station then for movement it's Mancala mechanism which is what was brought back into focus I think by Stefan Feld's Trajan last year and the idea here is you pick one of your units it's going to move clockwise around the space station and the number of spaces it moves is exactly the number of units in the sector where it starts so if I choose one of my units and it's one one four rooms of my sector and well, the sector it's in should I say and all four rooms have got someone in then he's going to move exactly four spaces clockwise and when he gets to that sector wherever it is that's when things are going to happen so there's a very interesting movement there it's very puzzly and that's where I think the kind of puzzle bit comes in and the faction cards bring in the theme bit and I'm quite liking the idea of the marriage of this so when they move into a sector there has to be an empty room there for them to move in otherwise they get straight away kicked into space so you don't make any mistakes also when they move into a sector if someone else has set a trap there's an enemy trap that's going to fire off so it's another thing I can imagine you don't have many units by the way I think it's three or four the advanced race is two I believe to start with you're not going to have that many options of moves and people are going to be able to see what your options of moves are and they're going to be able to start laying traps for you know and you're going to have to blunder into it at some point. also when you move to an area if one of your action cards is in play there then that action card kicks in and takes effect if you've put any cards previously into that area it, they're called potential cards they then come into play and now they are available to come into effect and also each different section has its own action so when you go there you may be able to do whatever that section does so for example I believe with the scientists if they go to the control room they're going to be able to get some data out of there that's pretty much how Theseus plays it's for two or four players it is recommended as a two player game though so I'm not sure about that how, how good the four player game is going to be we're going to have to wait and see there is also advanced variants for three players which brings in uh, another faction which is kind of different to how the other four run it's called Pandora and they recommend it only for advanced play but the ability is there to step up to a three player game they don't recommend playing with five players Sean have you got any thoughts about Theseus the Dark Orbit well, when I first started perusing the Essen Spiel list for this year this one's stood out immediately. I liked the blurb that they had up about it. It sounded like a proper space 
opera type game. And in my weak and feeble mind, I imagined it as a kind of like a, a dungeon command game, but on a bigger scale and set in space. What it's actually turned out to be is nothing like that at all. As Rona said, it's a puzzle game almost. And I've got to say, I'm really disappointed. Now, this may taint my opinion of the game, but from what I've seen, it's not something that I think I'm going to enjoy. Now, I don't necessarily like the way the theme is tacked on. There's no real, like, why are these guys fighting? You know, we know the Marines and the aliens and the scientists and the Greys are all having a fight over the Theseus. Why are they fighting? Did they just all materialize there and decide to have a scrap? We don't know. It's probably become apparent through these podcasts that I do like a story to a game and I like a game to make thematic sense. It doesn't really do that for me. So that's a scratch on it first for me. Is it true you're waiting for the expansion Theseus the birthday party? Will they all just make friends and get together and eat jelly and ice cream? That'd be a much more interesting game. I think that the first information that came out about the game was all thematic. It was this, these races are going to clash and they're after this space station and there was really cool art came out. And again, I believe that created a level of expectation. And I can tell you when I read that rule book, I got a shock. I was like, uh, this is an interactive puzzle. <laughs> that's what, that's what the game is. It's not even a Euro. It's a puzzle. It's, a Mancala mechanism of which of these three valid moves that I have is going to be the best move because that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, and trying to predict what your opponent's going to do so that you can then block them and and just right. move it around in this big circle. Like, whoa, but, okay. but, <laughs> all right, two factors here as into why I think it could be really interesting. One is Michael Orach designed Nirishima Hex and continues to design all the expansions and what have you. The different forces in Nirishima Hex play differently. Now, I haven't played it a lot. I'm no expert. I played it a little bit on iOS before I decided I hated iOS board games. <laughs> That's another different show. Let's not touch that now. But I have played it a bit. And what could seem on explanation to be a pretty dry entirely simple game actually has interesting decisions because of the various powers of the different units that are available now with the faction cards in the game has he managed to do it again has he managed to take that fairly dry you know mechanical blend and throw in the spice of interest and different factions with different abilities which actually draws you in a bit now i do find nourishing hex i'm not don't really believe that i'm having a fight when i play nourishing hex or it's a war between these two factions or whatever it it's supposed to be that doesn't mean i don't find it interesting so i might not be convinced by the theme but i think the theme adds to the game yeah yeah i mean i've I see what you mean about Nurushima Hex, but I think that was a surprise to me that that was a decent game. Now, this would be, again, another surprise to me if it was something that appealed to me. Not a decent game, but I'm sure it is a decent game, but a game that appeals to me. I like my theme. I like my stories. And as I said, I might warm to this once to get over the fact that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So that may, that may come in time. But for the moment, I'm just a little bit like, 
what is what's this game? It's just nothing like I imagined it. Yeah, in shock. I actually had to read the rules three times because the first time I was so what? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And the second time it kind of started going in, and then when I did the third read through, I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Right, let's let's just take this game for what it is, not what I wanted it to be. And I'm I'm not always good at doing that. I'm sure. The second point about why you know I have a little bit of faith in it is it's coming from Portal Games. They did Robinson Crusoe and Stronghold and Hiroshima Hex and 51st State. Now, all have got heavy themes to them. They've carried off that theme to different degrees of success. And certainly in, in one or two of those, those games, I think the theme has got in the way, actually, of the mechanism being very smooth. Robinson Crusoe, I don't think it's... In fact, well, I think we're going to talk about it soon in an episode. It's, I don't think it's mechanically the strongest game. But I think the theme is very, very strong in it. So I think they know how to do theme, which makes me think maybe this is going to come off. Yeah, I was actually going to mention Robinson Crusoe that is from the same stable. So I didn't really get Robinson Crusoe before I played it. I looked at it and went, what's all the fuss about? It just looks like a bland, boring game. And when you play it, it all comes together and you see why things are done and there's a lot going on and it's this big battle against the elements really i fell in love with the game almost but uh, this one still to convince me still in shock a little bit which is not their fault at all i have a little bit of a problem with the design of the game i was reading that real rule book and at the end of the rule book they show you an actual game being played out and it just looks like it's very difficult to pick out the pieces. They're all wooden chits. No, there's no miniatures or plastic figures or anything, or even wooden pieces that stand out from the game itself. They're all flat-to-the-ground discs. And if you're playing with the greys and blues, or so, for instance, do they really stand out enough? I couldn't make them out in the photos on the rulebook. So I think that could be a bit of a difficulty in the game as well. You just want plastic bits in every game, don't you? Shh. Every game would be better if it was made by Fantasy Flight, right? <laughs> well, they, they, they've got they've got their games with just wooden bits as well. <laughs> but you replaced them with plastic bits. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I think again, last point. I think before we sum up, what I do like is that um, these faction cards, which again quite similar to Vikings, I think it's the key is going to be what those cards do how they interact, what the powers are. There's 25 for each faction, and you only use 15 each game. So even though it's a puzzle game, it doesn't become perfectly learnable, if you like. Everyone won't know exactly what you're going to do. It's also timed, because when people run out of cards, then the timer starts counting down as to when the game finishes. So it's not going to be too long a game. Also, those cards come in five different levels of complexity. So... There's the basic 15-card deck that you start playing with, and then as you get to know the game better and better, you add in slightly more complicated games. Actually, four different levels of complexity, my apologies. Um, gives me hope for longevity. Gives me hope that there's going to be a lot to it, and as those cards come in, okay, it's only small, a couple of cards every, you know, every time you feel like you're ready to, to step up. But by the time you, you feel like you know all those cards, you're picking 15 out of 25, every game's going to be different. Then once you feel like you've mastered that, that's when they say, right, bring in Pandora. And if you've got three players who know what they're doing, bring the Pandora faction, which is, again, very different. They don't have their own sector. 
they are able to move around and then start spawning. If they can go to empty spaces, an empty sector, then they have an embryo alien and then suddenly they've got more going on and on, which sounds like it's going to be another dimension again. So it seems like in the package with Palmyra, we were a little bit worried. Will there be a lot of replayability in this one? It seems like they kind of got that nailed. Okay, so Ronan, interesting one. Trap or treasure? Yeah, it is an interesting one, I admit kind of feels a bit hypocritical of me to turn around and say I can't judge Vikings because I don't know what the cards do and yet I'm in exactly the same boat here with Theseus until I know how what those cards do how they interact uh, it's hard for me to really go full-on treasure here and yet I'm hoping or I'm gonna go for I guess I think it might be a trap this game, so far for me, is the actual very definition of a trap. It's lured me in with pretty pictures and tales of things that it isn't, and then as soon as I've stepped in, the poison dart, or I suppose, let's get thematic, the proximity mine has gone off and just taken me out. So for me, it's a trap. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 14.2 of The Game Pit. I hope you enjoyed some more of our previews on the upcoming Essen 2013 Spiel Fair. Uh, in the next couple of days, our episode 14.3 is going to be coming out and we're going to be covering six more new releases and our initial impressions on them. So, as always, you can catch us on 2d6.org along with a whole host of other gaming goodness. You can come and see us on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. And if you want to come and ask us a question, it's thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Music by E. Aaron.